0: This is the Mad River Anthology, and I'm Rachel Wheeler. John Brugoletta is here in the studio today, and uh, John, will you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, let's see. I'm a retired English professor from Cal State Fullerton. I am, uh, I was publisher and editor of South Coast Poetry Journal for about 10 years, and I've published two books of poems and about 200-plus poems in magazines.
0: And what are you working on now?
1: Well, I just, now that I've been retired for eight years, uh, this past eight years I have been, actually I've been retired ten years. I have been um, just writing whatever comes to me. I also write theology. I have a book of theology in print, a couple of them actually that I helped with, Currently, I think I'm writing, I never know about these things for certain, but I think I'm writing a series of poems on my childhood.
0: Would you like to read one?
1: Okay. Rabbit Hunting. Everything is white with snow except the apples. My dad and his friend let me come with them to hunt rabbits in this apple orchard. I brought my BB gun just to have a gun. I know it won't kill a rabbit, but you gotta have a gun. My dad has a big shotgun with a square top. He asks me if I want to shoot it, and I say, sure. So he piles up some snow for a target and hands it to me. It's heavy, but I hold it up and pull the trigger. Then everything turns to sky. I'm on my back. My dad and his friend laugh, and they start hunting but that's not the end of that story. After we eat our sandwiches, they shoot at a rabbit and it stops running, but it doesn't fall over. It just sits in the snow. So I pick it up and take it back to the car. It's going to be my pet. Halfway home it dies, and my father says to throw it out of the car. It's diseased. I wonder if he feels that way about me.
0: Are there things in childhood that are coming up specifically relating to family issues? Or um, is there something else in childhood that has made you want to think about, I guess, writing poems about this time in your life?
1: Well, every now and then, several years, I have written a poem about my childhood, but it's never been in the voice of a child before. It's always been an adult remembering childhood. And recently, I reread... Randall Jarrell's last book of poems, in which he wrote poems in the voice of a child about his childhood, and I enjoyed them so much. I thought, you know, that's a genre not many people have used. So uh, I've I've taken it up recently, temporarily, I think, and mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it.
0: However, you've written in a variety of forms, right? You've written formal verse and yes, yes. light verse. And is there something else that would fit some different kind of genre that you'd like to share?
1: Well, I'm a Christian, and so I do write poems sometimes from a, from a Christian point of view. I also write poems about animals and about science. And I'm one of those Christians who tries to, to harmonize science with faith I think there are many ways to do that and there are some brilliant people working in that field today. I I don't really choose a form ahead of time. I think a lot of poets are like this. I, I when a, a, an idea for a poem comes to me or the scent of a poem uh is something I detect then I I think about the voice that would fit that idea, that image that comes to me and And the voice sort of tells me, this ought to be free verse or this ought to be a sestina or a sonnet or a villanelle or whatever form. Could just be rhyming couplets.
0: Since you brought up being a Christian, is there something about writing poetry that um, has become maybe a spiritual practice or is part of what you believe, I guess? I'm thinking of Richard Wilbur recently. He said the religious assertions that poetry makes uh, that I've read recently. Is there something that corresponds to what you believe about writing poetry in that?
1: I think what, uh, maybe what you're thinking of is, is Wilbur saying that any poet who writes metaphors implies that disparate things really are in some way, a deep way, connected and, and he sees that as religious, and, and I see it as spiritual as well, mm-hmm. because there seems to be no rational reason for them to be connected, but uh, the poet's mind connects them anyway in saying this is like that or implying this is like that. But every now and then uh, I write a poem that is more overtly Christian, but I'm very careful about that because... I think the worst kind of Christian poetry just uses all the, the official cliches of Christianity. Grace, forgiveness, uh, atonement, love, mercy. And people have heard these so often that they've, they've leaked their meanings. We, we say them, as with most cliches, we say them without really thinking what we're meaning when we say it. And um, or whether we really believe what we're saying, and so I think the poets—I I hesitate to say duty, but the poet, maybe the poet's habit, should be to put things in fresh terms. Mm-hmm. And metaphor helps us to do that. We don't preach in poetry; people get enough preaching. We we raise questions. We instead of, well, this is a metaphor. Mm -hmm. Instead of, if we're realtors selling a house, trying to sell a house, instead of showing the potential buyers a photograph and blueprints of a house, we show them a brick, a two by four stud, and a shingle. Mm -hmm. And that means house, a particular kind of house. Mm And that has a certain eerie sort of power over the human mind. The uh, the power of images is denied by some people, but uh, it's there. We wouldn't have all the visual arts if it weren't.
0: Is there a poem that you could read that would fit into this?
1: This is one that's uh, filled with images and uh, in, implies something spiritual, I think. The title is Mas, which is a, a, a Japanese phrase meaning, I have received from on high. I'm told Japanese people say this before dining, even if they're not religious. I have received water flowing and pooled, salt and fresh, cold and hot. Wind off the ocean, among the trees, over wheat fields, wool for warmth. I am grateful for these, and for the many-touching octopi, the common beauty of oleanders, tough-limbed oaks, lithe ocelots, leather-skinned oranges, and pungent onions. About me lie perch from farm ponds, peppers and parsnips, potatoes and telecherry peppercorns, pork and peaches, paprika, together with the sweet sadness of Packlebell, I have been given air to breathe, alders leafing out in spring, crisp apples, deep-flavored apricots, and the shield-like leaves of Aspidistras. Grapes and goldfinches, garlic and grass, are in my treasury. Jackrabbits and jays, ginger and juncos have come to me as gifts. I am inebriated on biscuits and bass, bread and bears, bicycles and barracudas, on basil and brass. Clouds and rainfall, snow and sleet, sunshine and darkness are my blessings, as are moonlight and firelight, starlight and candlelight. I have been awarded Mozart and Bach, Verdi and Puccini, Homer and Shakespeare, Thomas Moore and Martin Luther, Herbert and Dunn. I have received from on high appreciative dogs and dignified house cats, deer and raccoons, chickens and gross beaks, friendship and children, fuchsias and dahlias, soil, stone, and steel. May I never be ungrateful for any shelter, any mouthful of food or sip of water, any friendly gesture, any offer of help, any touch of understanding.
0: I I know you moved up here when you retired. So is there something about Humboldt County that has been different from Fullerton um, that has changed your poetry at all?
1: When I retired, I decided that I'd had enough of sending poems to editors and publishing. I'd been on both sides of the publishing desk, and I'd done enough of that. And so I just began writing whatever I wanted to read, the kind of poem I wanted to read but couldn't find in print, the kind I enjoyed writing. And so I hadn't sent any poems out for several years, the first several years. But then the North Coast Journal decided they were going to (laughs) print poems, and they wanted them to be about this area that is the subject should be this area i began writing some uh, poems of that kind i was especially inspired by them because they pay for their poems <laughs> and most publishers don't here's one the i think the first one they took called coffee shops and uh, by the way nowadays coffee shops seem to mean a, a place where you can get a latte or a mocha but i'm I'm thinking more of uh, Adele's or Pantry here. We stop at them on the roadside, walk in, and are relieved that the chairs are plastic, the tables formica, everything orange and brown and scratched, secure in their anachronism and imperfections, like monks or politeness. The meringue on the pies and the waitress's hair both achieve heightened elegance, by means of daily necessity. The atmosphere is not ambience. It's the honest flatulence of grease with high notes of potatoes and bacon. The newspaper has been read by someone who left ten minutes ago for work. It lies now despoiled, as open to us as a woman who has decided anyone may know her without paying. And the imitation flowers do their best to mimic their evanescent betters. We always have stopped at shrines like these for a rest or because we're hungry. But the thing about Humboldt County that has impressed me most, I think, are the animals because my wife and I live in the forest and on 10 acres and uh, we see a lot of wild animals. Uh, Among the most impressive are the bears. Here's one called The Cooler Case. Somewhere between Arcata and Willow Creek, there is a mom-and-pop grocery store that closed its door one night and sent its mom-and-pop home to their dinners. As the elderly couple disappeared in the dark, the forest around that little store became alert and focused its attention on the tiny exhalations that said fat and oil and even meat, in chemical voices so soft that only the most finely calibrated noses could hear them. Then the forest extended toward the store one finger, her suit, muscular and hungry. This hairy finger, clever as a professional safecracker, opened that grocery store as effortlessly as you and I would crack an egg. The next morning, the store's mom and pop wondered at the ruined door, wondered at the chaos inside, but wondered most of all at the burglar's selectivity. Only cold cuts and potato chips were gone. Police checked all of the high schools and middle schools in the area, but none of them had enrolled a bear. The case went cold, of course, this particular bear being such a cool customer.
0: You have spoken earlier about what makes a good reading poem, and certainly that one seems like a good one. Can you talk about what the difference is in terms of things that you recognize would be more oral or would be more on the page, would be better appreciated?
1: I think a reading poem takes less analysis on the part of the recipient, the audience. A reading poem, so generally, the best ones I've found are narrative. They tell a little story, and uh, listeners can follow that better than a very intellectual poem that that tries to understand some great concept and, and uh, makes dis- fine distinctions and so forth. So I think that's true not only of poetry to be read aloud to an audience, but it's also true of songs. They differ from poetry that's read on the page. In fact, I wrote an article once uh, that included uh, a hymn by Isaac Watts in it. He wrote this hymn in the 18th century, and it's very popular today among Christians to sing, but he took out one stanza, because in it he punned on the scarlet that clothed Jesus on the cross mm-hmm. it was his blood but it was also the robe of nobility of a king mm-hmm. and it was it took too long to sort that out in your mind mm-hmm. if you were singing it for the first or hearing it for the first time so he took it out and wisely so
0: mm-hmm. well, you've written a lot of hymns right yeah yeah. and what do you find you have to think about that kind of thing when you're when you're doing that kind I of I think
1: so yes you you have to you know in in poetry to be read to oneself you can go back over it on the page you can reread it you can think about it you can stop in the middle and think about it and then go on but when it's being read aloud or when it's being sung you don't have that lug- luxury that leisure and and so um it has to be pretty obvious while, you're, while it's moving past you.
0: Mm-hmm. You write a lot in response to reading, I think. You mentioned earlier the that Jarrell that's prompted you're doing the childhood poems. Are there other poets or other things that you have written in response to your reading?
1: Well, I've, um, I've written a series of, of poems on characters in the bible both old and new testaments i think all of them are too long for the program today i get inspired by the best poets i read i th- i think it's not a matter of imitating them it's a matter of hearing a voice and then responding with your own voice i'm not sure that i have a voice that is i don't mean speaking voice but i mean a voice in my poems that is consistent but some Knowledgeable people tell me I do, and so I, I suppose I do. But it all gets digested. Reading other poetry, and reading other things besides poetry, I think, like you know, uh, novels, mm-hmm. scientific treatises. These these things are like food for the poet. You digest them, you, and in so doing, you make them a part of yourself, and so they're changed.
0: Yeah. You wrote one in response to Jaber Crow, I know. And since I introduced you to that book, I'm wondering if you'll read that poem.
1: Sure. It's called Love. And the quotation at the top reads uh, This is from Wentleberry's novel, Jaber Crow. He, sa- he writes Young lovers see a vision of the world redeemed by love. That is the truest thing they ever see, for without it, life is death. Death, as you probably already know, is not the cessation of the heart's regular spasms or the conversation of synapses going mute. Death is the dark goal of those and others. The return of all savors and greens and citrus smells past their fetid decay, past proteins and lignin, past compounds to elements. And there, on the cusp of nothingness, balanced on the lip of a huge, lightless maw, death takes shape. It is the shape of shapelessness, its lack of light our only way to see it, if seeing you call it. This is the normal state of what things are like if left alone, left uncalled out of their hole, dead. And we, if we you call it, would not have known we were non-existent, dead, if roll had not been called. But a voice spoke in photons, and we began to be. Why did it call us, you ask? You are like the child who asks its wise mother, What is light? The mother, in answer, picked up the child, sat it down at her table, and fed it.
0: You mentioned science earlier. Do you have any poems that are responding to your... I know you read a lot about science.
1: I think an important topic is how people throughout their existence, so far as we know, even in prehistory, have seen an essential difference between human beings and the other animals that we somehow don't fit in the world, that we are interlopers. So here's one called Unnatural Mankind. I tend to disagree with that in a sense, really. So, like Iceland poppies downcast in the rain, or like the chimpanzees who seem to mourn that inconvenient dampness from the sky, we huddle in another pouring day Elephants and kudus breathe the air and walk the crust of earth with proper ease. The barracuda eats her neighbor fish, and ants herd aphids for the milk they give. What gave our race the sense that we're unique, the planet's cancer, time's anomaly? What but our reason, intellect, and speech, a sharpened tool a managed flame, a plan. But now the ravens and gorillas show their like credentials and we're left with one, a vision of ourselves as broken beasts, interred and then transformed to minor gods.
0: Do you want to read a poem I see in front of you?
1: (laughs) Yes. This is on... Ex-President Bush and President Obama. I can't remember when I wrote this, but I guess it was after Obama was uh, nominated for the, the Democratic nominee. A new age, perhaps. His anger does not last forever. There was a horse made senator in Rome. We've gone one worse, an ass for president. I know of no one slaughtered by the horse's vote but tens of thousands now lie rotting under grass to save our ass in history's brief memory. However, from the people we thought fit for slavery comes one whose calm demeanor promises another time of peace. The demonized will sit down with their demonizers and, we hope, arrange a wedding of insightful mercy with adamantine justice. And may their offspring all be known as wisdom. And that raises another topic of poetry. Just as I think it's unfair to use poetry's power to impose Christianity on other people against their will, it's unfair to do that with our political topics. So I'm not sure I want to publish that poem.
0: (laughs) Well, we're, we're... Wrapping it up to the end of the half hour, is there anything you want to close with? Anything?
1: Yeah. Hucksters. I am old enough to have known the breath of a horse at a dark barn window, just surviving. The wagon he used to pull through the streets, standing motionless nearby in the vacant lot. Hucksters still hawked their onions and string beans But by then they drove Fords and Dodges, their beds built up for display with boards and a boy riding along to run a bag of potatoes to Mrs. Biondo on the ninth floor and back down with her coins. They pulled over where customers lived. They honked. They called out their good. Apples! Tomatoes! Cheap! Then in a stage whisper, grown by some dumb creep. And in the evenings after their unromantic and tedious days, They sat at the cleared kitchen table, counting nickels and quarters, allotting their wives enough for milk and flour, putting away a dollar or two each week, always dropping something in the basket before them at church. And then they too parked their rusting trucks, and they themselves toward the end lived indoors, breathing into the telephone, barely surviving. Where will we park our smooth cars at last? In what dim room will we exhale our spirit? Ending on a cheerful note.
0: Well, thank you, John.
1: You're welcome, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: My guest has been John Brugoletta. You've been listening to the Mad River Anthology. The engineer was Emily Craven. I'm Rachel Wheeler. If you have questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. On our blog, an online archive of past programs can be found at madriveranthology.wordpress.com. The show is also available in iTunes. The Mad River Anthology airs the second and fourth Sundays of the month at 10 p.m. and is produced for KHSU, located at Humboldt State University in Arcata, California.